This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. This is part one of a two-part program. I'm Terry Hausman, host of Beauty Now. We bring you the latest in beauty buzz, things like lasers, lifts, lashes, lipo, breast dogs, tummy tucks, and today, sagging necks and faces. What can we do? We're really lucky we have Dr. Brent Mulliken back with us today. He's been one of our best contributing experts. Well, it's easy to do a mini lift in about an hour, but you know, almost any surgeon could do it in that time, but the patients usually won't be happy with the degree of correction that they get because people want to look better. They want their jawlines to look better. They want their necks to look better, and they're just not going to be happy with a little teeny pull in front of the ear. If it's a pure neck lift, then it probably is only an incision underneath the chin. But some people will also call a neck lift to confuse everyone even further when the, inc- when the incision is just behind the ear because that's the area that tends to lift the skin of the neck. So many people will consider a neck-only lift to be a combination of those two. Incision below the chin to tighten up those muscles and an incision behind the ear to tighten up the neck. Lye fill is a better concept than fat injection because lye fill is tissue taken from the patient all alive. So it's not processed. It's not sucked through a syringe, it's not injected through a syringe, but it's all alive, just little strips of tissue taken from areas where there's lots of fibrous tissue. Welcome back, Dr. Mulliken. Well, it's good to be here again. Thank you. And you know, women, and even men, I I was at the beach the other day and this man said, you know, I want a facelift. And... Well, he didn't actually look like he needed one, but I said, you know what? Get a consultation. So will you actually start with the consultation for a neck and facelift? Where do we start? Yes, absolutely. The, the best way to start is to go and see, you know, find a good plastic surgeon and then go into their office and chat with them and see what their proposals are. And, you know, it's never a bad idea to interview, you know, two or three people. Because actually everybody's different, right? I mean, isn't that true? One person's facelift would not be the other person's because I was reading about lower facelift, upper facelift. What is all this? Well, yes, you're right on both counts because doctors are very, very different in their artistic approach to a facelift. And there, there are kind of approaches over the decades where, you know, in the 80s, we had a very, very pulled look that was common. And now we're trying for a much more natural look. So, you know, times change, but also doctors change. And everyone has their own artistic style. So the patient should really take some time and try to identify what the artistic style of that, of that doctor is. Oh, you know, I just said something that really hits home. I think for a lot of people when they make fun of plastic surgery is a natural look. And and one thing I've learned is that you can always take out more skin, but you can't put it back in. That's absolutely right. But, you know, it's interesting. When you look at a facelift, if you say, oh, that person had a facelift, that's usually not a good sign. <laughs> and, there are, yeah, and there are actually a lot of little clues that will give even the untrained person 
an idea that the person's had a facelift. And, you know, when a facelift is done, incisions are typically made around the ears, you know, sometimes inside the ear, sometimes outside the ear, and often behind the ear. And a really skilled surgeon will make all these incisions minimally detectable, if at all. So you really won't know that the person's had the facelift. The ear will look the same as it did before the surgery. Now, if you start to see ears that are really, wow, that's a funny-looking ear because it's really long or it's pulled down into the face or the front of the ear looks like it's kind of melting. And if you look in the back and you see a lot of scars and you see, you know, wow, that hairline is really uneven. Those are all clues. Because the scar goes into the hairline? Tell us where the scars go. Usually, in in most facelifts now, the scar will go behind the little bump in front of the ear called the tragus. It'll go underneath the earlobe, and then it'll go behind the ear, you know, just hug behind the ear, and then about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way up, it'll go back into the hairline. And a skillful surgeon will be able to keep the patient's old hairline and not change it. That includes the the, the sideburn. Women can't grow a sideburn as long as they want the way most men can. So it's very important that the surgeon consider that. And if you're doing a facelift on a woman, you don't want to raise that sideburn so high that there's a big bald spot. That's another tip-off for that someone's had plastic surgery. And if you combine all six of those things, wow, it's really apparent that surgery was done. And that's not good for most people. Exactly. What is this, like, lifestyle lift? They're saying, oh, you can have a facelift in an hour. It sounds kind of bogus to me. What's, what's the deal? Well, mini lifts have been around for many, many decades. But, you know, this, the one person who's promoting the lifestyle lift has been very clever, you know, from a marketing standpoint, at franchising out the concept of a mini lift. Um, and basically what it is, it's almost the same incisions as for a, a conventional facelift. At least the lifestyle patients that I've seen in my practice who have had the lifestyle lift, they've had traditional, you know, facelift scars, but very, very minimal um, facelifts. So you're so, saying, would it be for somebody that's younger or, I mean, I don't see older people that have really big sagging stuff that could benefit. Is that true or not true? Yeah, but I think the, life, the lifestyle lift is very different. It's a proprietary thing. So that's something that, you know, this, this man who invented the lifestyle lift has, it's basically an advertising campaign, mostly for young doctors. So they'll do the, the facelift at, you know, relatively cheap prices, but it's usually people in their first year or so of practice. Well, they were saying they could do it in an hour, which didn't seem like that would be a great concept if you were going to have surgery done on your face. I wasn't sure. Well, it's easy to do a mini lift in about an hour, but you know, almost any surgeon could do it in that time. But the patients usually won't be happy with the degree of correction that they get because people want to look better. They want their jawlines to look better. They want their necks to look better. And they're just not going to be happy with a little teeny pull in front of the ear. Tell us about a neck lift then. So if you're looking at your neck and it's saggy... <laughs> Well, there are a couple problems that go on. One is that the muscles become loose. So you can actually see the muscle bands that go down the neck, you know, and and usually there are two of them, one on each side. And that's the muscles actually getting loose. Plus the skin gets loose. The skin gets loose because fat is literally going away from the face. It's literally dissolving from the face as we age. That's one of the components of aging. 
And that's it's huge now that we think of, we don't just want to lift the face and tighten it. We also want to restore the volume that's been lost. Because yes, there's sagging that occurs, but also there's volume loss. And we really want to try to replace the volume wherever we can. So you're saying you can replace volume in your neck or no? You can replace volume in the neck, but usually by taking the loose muscle and bringing it together in the center. And, there, and, and many people consider that the neck lift part of the facelift. So the doctor will go in, he will, you know, he'll make an incision underneath the chin, and he'll do some sort of tightening procedure for the neck. That does not fix the skin that's loose in the entire area of the face and the neck. It just helps the muscles underneath and sometimes the fat underneath. What if you don't have loose skin, but you have those bands in your neck? You know how you see women that they have really strong bands in their neck, but they almost look like they work out, but... How can you get rid of those? Well, for a lot of women who don't really want or need a facelift yet, we can do something called a neck lace. And what that is, is the same incision that we've always used for, for many, many years underneath the chin. But instead of just tying the muscles together in the center, we actually do it more widely, almost like, a, like tying your shoe, like an interlacing stitch. So it gets a little bit better correction of the, of the muscles below the neck. And I call that a neck lace in my practice. See, this is what gets so confusing about all the different things. So where would the neck lift incisions be as opposed to a lower facelift incision? Ah, the neck, if it's a pure neck lift, then it probably is only an incision underneath the chin. But some people will also call a neck lift to confuse everyone even further when the when the incision is just behind the ear because that's the area that tends to lift the skin of the neck so many people will consider a neck only lift to be a combination of those two incision below the chin to tighten up those muscles and an incision behind the ear to tighten up the neck well, I'm golden because I fell off my bike and cracked my chin open, so I'm I'm so lucky. I already have a scar. Oh, there. perfect! If you got one, then okay, you know. I'll be right down. That's exactly. Perfect. Well, we just use that scar. Perfect. That's a, that's good to know. So I always thought that was for a facelift for some reason. So it's so. What about okay? Let's talk about the brows then. Okay. Now, what we try to do when we do a brow lift is. And I've got to actually wrote a chapter for our textbook called Mathis, so people can read the whole browlift chapter if they want. If they want, to, if they can't go to sleep at night, just pick up this chapter, and they'll guarantee put you to sleep. I'm pretty it, sure we want to hear you talk about it, then read that. Exactly, exactly. Well, there are tons of different types of browlifts, and basically, what we're trying to do is trying to lift the eyebrows up, whether that's through the the side of the eyebrows or the center of the eyebrows. We want to lift those up and kind of counteract the drooping that's gone over the years and the heaviness that's developed in the upper eyelids. So that's called a brow lift. And there are a million different types of brow lifts. Literally, a brow lift can be a little incision at the front of the hairline to slightly elevate the outer part of the brow. Because usually when you pencil in your brow, you, you make the outer side a little bit higher. Or, or with Botox, you try to get the same effect, get the outer brow a little teeny bit higher than the central brow. So that's one approach. Or the older type, the coronal lift, that's the big incision that we've all heard about that our, that our parents got. You right. know, the big incision from ear to ear. Why would now, a doctor do that on a younger patient? Well, 
it, it's one approach of doing it. It's not wrong to do it that way. We don't do it in our practice just because it leaves a long scar, and it does hurt the sensation to the top of the head. There's a nerve that goes up to the top of the head that you have to cut if you do your brow lift that way. Now, a lot of people now are doing endoscopic brow lifts, so they make little incisions, usually above the hairline, and then get in endoscopic tools, like a little teeny telescope, and then release the muscles of the brow and allow them to go up a bit. And sometimes they'll put a little suture or, or even a screw, believe it or not, into the, into the skull to hold up the brow. So that's another form of brow lift. So they have to put a screw in. Does the screw stay in there? Two types. One is self-dissolving and it eventually dissolves, and the other is permanent. So you have a screw in your head forever? Screw in your head forever. What do you prefer? <laughs> I don't really care for that brow lift because I'm really big on preserving the hairline. Mm-hmm. And the hairline is everything. In women, the hairline recedes. The older you get, the higher your hairline gets. So all these techniques like the coronal lift, which is the ear-to-ear incision for a brow lift, that's going to raise the brows, and the brows do look better. But you're sacrificing a lot of the hair because to the degree that you raise the brows, the hairline will raise up. So you see a lot of older ladies who have had, you know, coronal brow lifts and their hair is way up. I know. That's so sad because you think if they could have had it today, it wouldn't have happened. It it wouldn't have happened. But even the endoscopic lifts, you know, that that work endoscopically, they still raise the hairline. So patients should be aware of that. Because a young lady who comes in who, who thinks, you know, I'm 35 years old and look, my brow's drooping a little bit, be careful because if you get your endoscopic lift, you may end up with a higher hairline. And that's uh, indicative of age. And no, no hair in your scar? The scars, us- the scars usually heal pretty well from the endoscopic lift, although sometimes there is a little bald patch around the, the areas where the cameras go in and the telescopes go in. How, how many times can you do this? Let's just say you get that kind of procedure and 10 years later you need it again. Can you do it again? Well, there, there's sort of two groups of, of, of ladies in particular. And, and the first group, when they're in their 40s, they are used to looking good. So they're going to start to have some work done in their 40s. So in, in those ladies, by the time they're 60, the work hasn't gone away, but they have aged, you know, 15 years or so. Right. So they're going to be back. And the second group of ladies is the ladies who come in, you know, I'm 60 years old, I've never done any work, and I want some sprucing up. And those ladies typically will just do it once in their lifetime. Right. So they're not the obsessed kind. But I guess my question is, if you do, it's like you're in your 40s and you have one of the endoscopic brow lifts that you're talking about, is it possible to do endoscopic twice or do you have to go for the other one? No, you can do endoscopic twice, but each time you do the endoscopic lift, you may alter the hairline. So be very careful about talking to your doctor about, you know, hey, what effect is this going to have on my hairline? Think about it. Any lift that originates above the hairline and lifts the brow, it's got to raise the hairline. Right. So that's, so that's really something to consider, and not all doctors will talk about that. No, I think that's really good information because I really haven't heard about that, and, nor did I think about that. Oh, the hairline's critical. You can take a you can take a forty year old woman who looks nice, but may, you know maybe has a little bit of drooping of the brow, and and do a brow lift on her, and she looks older rather than younger. Older. Yep, that's because, scary. Yes. Exactly, because the hairline can be very high, 
But it's that, also, don't you think, I mean, is that what you're talking about when their brows look too high? Or can you overdo the brows? You can totally overdo the brows. And here's another place where artistry really, really comes in. Because when you do a brow lift, a lot of times you do not want to raise the central brow. That means the, the, the brow sort of above the nose. Because if, if you think about it, when you raise the brow above your nose, you're looking sort of quizzical. Like, what do you mean? Like, exactly. You know, your, your brow's going up and you give the impression of, what do you mean? Or if the brow's really high, wow, I'm so surprised. No, it's and, true. And you've seen a couple of actresses like that who are gorgeous people and then they have that brow that's lifted like that. And you're like, you know, oh, no, why did you do that? Doesn't make them look a day younger, but a lot more surprised. Yeah, surprised and that they've had some work done. And that's exactly. not what we want. We want natural-looking stuff. Right. We're going to have to take a break for a commercial. We're going to be right back with Dr. Brent Mulliken. Hang with us. Listen to Living Dialogues, thought leaders in transforming ourselves and our global community with Duncan Campbell, visionary conversationalist, bringing you the best in new paradigm thinking on personallifemedia.com. back with Dr. Brent Mulliken, everything you need to know about neck, facelifts, brow lifts. This is the show. Welcome back, Dr. Mulliken. Well, it's good to be back again. So we were just leaving off with facelifts and all that. Tell us about the 360 facelift. Well, the 360 facelift is a concept that, you know, the face doesn't just age in one area or two areas. It ages overall. So the 360 facelift is designed to fix many, many areas, you know, the best we can. So, you know, we start with a neck lace procedure, which is an incision underneath the neck. So we tighten the neck muscles a little bit more aggressively than we used to be able to do in the past with just a traditional, you know, tie the muscles in the neck. Then we go to the side of the face and we do a lift, but it's bi-directional. So we get all the deep tissues, the smash tissues, many people call them the muscles, but they're not really muscles. And we lift those muscles up. And what this does is it gives more volume in the upper face and less volume in the jowl area. And unlike the SMAS procedures of the past where you could just take away SMAS, we don't want to take away any volume at all because people need that volume as they age. For those of us that are ignorant, explain SMAS. Oh, the SMAS, it, it's a deep layer of the face is the best way to put it. It's got a, you know, it's, it's an acronym for Submusculoepineurotic System. So uh-huh. Can you put that in English, please? Exactly. So <laughs> it's just a deep layer of the face. Okay. So it's not the muscles, the but, you know, a lot of doctors will say muscles just for simplicity. Okay. Right. So you want to raise that SMAS up, but the, but the, the pull of, of the... To, the pull of the face should not be obvious, and it needs to be gentle and graceful, not super, super high on the edges so that you get that swoop look. And you've all seen that where, 
where the the face looks, you know, gosh, it looks so different in different parts. Like underneath the eyes, it looks kind of normal age, but then on the side of the face, it's really, really going up radically. So that's an artifact of surgery. We can avoid that. So, you know, the skin goes back in a more gentle direction. When we do the upper eyelids, we don't take away fat anymore. We reposition the fat or we actually add fat to the upper eyelids, often with live fill. So we want to restore the volume. If you look at younger eyes, look at all the beautiful models. They have nice fullness around their eyes and nice fullness in their face. They may have a beautiful contour between the cheekbone and the cheek, but they have really nice fullness. And you look at older people, that full away. So we want to replace the fullness wherever we can. That can be in the lips. It can be in the smile lines. It can be in the marionette lines. It can be in the temporal zone where the people get hollowing there. It can be in the eyebrows themselves where the eyebrows actually deflate. So older patients have literally an eyebrow sitting right on the bone. And a younger patient will have a lot of natural fullness there. So we can restore some of that natural fullness. And all this is part of the sort of the 360 facelift concept. We don't look at the face just as, you know, face and eyes, face and eyes, face and eyes, the way that we've all been taught in medical school. But we look at it more of like, how can we rejuvenate the face comprehensively? So what is life fill when you say life fill? So life fill, you've all heard of fat injection. Right. Artifil I've heard of, but... Don't really understand it. Go ahead. Right. So Artifil is actually a synthetic material based with plastic beads and collagen, typically. Um, But um, fat injection means taking fat from the body and suctioning it through a syringe and then injecting it in places where you need more fullness, like the areas I just told you about. But we have a... actually believe that live fill is a better concept than fat injection because live fill is tissue taken from the patient all alive. So it's not processed, it's not sucked through a syringe, it's not injected through a syringe, but it's all alive, just little strips of tissue taken from areas where there's lots of fibrous tissue. And that's what live fill is. So we, you know, in the studies that I've done and presented at our meetings, the ASPS and ASAPS meetings, um, the, the survival is better of live fill than it is for fat injection. It's a lot better. So that's what I like to use for all the areas that we can put extra volume into the face. So we're counteracting the, the sagging, but we're also counteracting the volume loss in the face. And now, that's really in, the, the tenet of the uh, 360 facelift. Well, is this a ex- difference than a cheek implant? Would you use live fill instead of a cheek implant, or is this different? You know, I tell you, I'm a big fan of using live fill for augmenting the cheek area because it's a soft tissue. You know, the recovery is very quick, and you don't need to go all the way down to the bone. And you don't kind of, you know, you know, sometimes when older patients have cheek implants in, they're they're visible. You can actually see the outline of the cheek implant. How do you remove cheek implants? Usually it's very easy, although sometimes it's very difficult, depending on the material that the cheek implant was made of. Uh, Usually you do it just through the mouth, you make an incision, and you take them out. But sometimes um, cheek implants are made that are literally like cement, and they fuse to the bone. It's very, very, very difficult to remove those, you know, if the patient should be unhappy. So do you recommend not to remove them if they're unhappy? If the patient's unhappy with something, then you've got to remove it somehow. You know, and, and, and we've seen patients with, you know, cheek implants that are impinging on the nerve or causing numbness or pain. So obviously in those patient, patients, we're going to take out the old cheek implants and replace it with live fill, which is a soft uh, filling material and isn't hard. So live fill, actually, where do you get it out of your body? 
Usually we go to the lower abdomen for live fill, and we just make a make an incision in the very, very lower abdomen. Usually we actually shave a little bit of the pubic hairs, and then we get strips of the tissue, and that's what we use for augmenting the face. So you're not going to be growing hair on your cheeks, are you? Oh, no. we don't. You, that's a good question. That's actually a great question because if you weren't skilled in the procedure and you put a bunch of hair follicles in, well, oh, my God, I, I could just imagine the jokes that would result from that. Well, exactly. We don't need a beard on our face after exactly. all that. Exactly. That wouldn't be good. Well, this is so interesting about the life fill. So where else do you use it? Well, we can use it almost anywhere in the face. We do have some cases of really high-volume life fill. And one case we just did was of a very, very sweet lady who was totally fine until she developed lupus profundus. And it's basically a form of lupus. You've heard of lupus, the autoimmune disease. Right. Well, this was a terrible form of it. And she was 23 years old. And oh, within, no. Within two years, her whole face became hollow. Oh. She, she aged literally 20 years in two years. So she, had, she did a lot of research. She came to see me, and we put a large volume of live fill in her face to, you know, fill in the areas that had been destroyed by the lupus, and it worked. Oh. So, you know, lupus can, I mean, uh, live fill can be used for a number of, of different techniques, and, um, uh, you know, a different, number of different areas in the face for the cheeks, for the, the lips are the most common, and the smile lines. So the area from your nose down to your mouth, the, the, the nasolabial folds, they're called. Those areas are great for live fill. So you, how long would that last then? I mean, as opposed to like, what's the other one? Radius? Radius. Well, well, live fill, we hope to be permanent. And the reason I say that is it's a graft material. So it's like a skin graft. When you have a burn patient and they, they get burnt and you take off the burn and you put on a skin graft, once that skin graft survives, that patient will have it forever. And it's the same concept with fat injection, and it's the same concept with live fill. Once the blood supply of the body has grown into that graft, that's yours to keep forever. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. I mean, really, I've never heard of life fill. This is great. It's just, it's pretty simple when you think about it. You just don't want to damage the tissue when you use it for grafts. And that, unfortunately, is something that happens with fat injection, is that when you pull it through a needle... And then you usually spin it down in a centrifuge to get the, the impurities out. And then you inject it through a needle. Well, it's just tissues that, are, that live in the body. So when you're doing all that damage to them, you know, some of the cells are going to die. And probably the, the numbers vary depending on the study you read, but probably about 80% of the cells are dead when they go in, in fat injection. So that's why I came up with Lifefill, because we don't do anything to the Lifefill. We make a strip of tissue. And when you send it to the pathologist to check, hey, is this really alive or am I just, you know, blowing smoke, the pathologist confirms that, yes, the cells are alive. Well, I think this sounds amazing. We're going to have to actually, unfortunately, end here. But lucky for our listeners, we have a whole nother segment coming up, round two, which will be played the following week, so you can know more about facelifts, wrinkles, tucks, Saggy, I haven't even got to the saggy chin, but we will in the next episode. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was my pleasure. I've learned so much myself. And if you want to get in touch with Dr. Brett Mulliken, please go to personallifemedia.com. You can get transcripts for today's show. You can email me at teri at personallifemedia.com. And we're going to have all, all of Dr. Mulliken's links to get a hold of him. And he's in Beverly Hills. Is that right? That's correct. Beverly Hills. He's a Beverly Hills guy. So anyways, 
Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll be back with you next week. Saw you shopping at the North Star Mall. I hardly recognize you at all. It wasn't until I heard you say hello. I realized you were a girl I know. You look completely different than you did in 91. A total transformation. Come on, admit it. You had a little work done. Had a little work done. Holy cow. It don't matter. Wow, look at you now. How'd you like to get together for some fun? I kind of like it since you had a little work done. And I pretended that you didn't exist You were a cute thing but you couldn't be The trophy girl I wanted hanging with me You've gone from plain white bread To a honey bun I think I'd like to have a taste now Cause you're delicious since you had a little work done Had a little work done, holy smoke I noticed you, a damn near choke I think that we should get together for some fun I think I want you now, you had a little work done Had a little work done, had a little work done Had a little work done Had a little work done, had a little work done All around the town In your red convertible With the top down I heard the beauty is only skin deep They call me shallow Cause you're looking mighty sweet I never fantasized before That you would be the one Now you're in my night and day dream You're sure amazing since you had a little work done Had a little work done Holy cow It don't matter Wow, look at you now I kind of like you since you had a little work done. Had a little, had a little work done. Had a little work done. Had a little work done. Had a little, had a little work done. Had a little work done. Had a little work done. Had a little, had a little work done. Had a little work done. Had a little work done. Had a little, had a little work done. This concludes part one. The interview will be continued in the next episode of this show. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.